Thanks for listening to the Best of Herd Podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday from 12 to 3 Eastern, 9 to noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and FS1. Find your local station for the Herd at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app by searching Herd. This is the Best of the Herd with Colin Cowher on Fox Sports Radio. What up? Welcome in. This is The Herd, wherever you may be and however you may be making this part of your day. Thanks so much. In for Colin Cowherd, I'm Doug Gottlieb, and you stuck with me, kids. As uh, March continues to be mad, not just in basketball. What starting quarterback, Pro Bowl, All-Pro, Hall of Famer will be moved? Tune in today, kids. As suddenly the NFL has movement. It moved! Alright, so um, look, we'll get to the Lakers losing to the Rockets last night. Uh, we will uh, we, we may have a baseball season during the show. Like, it seems like they got really close and then Rob Manfred goes like ah, do more series. So we're moving back opening day. And it's, you know, the devil gets into the details. I understand it. But at some point you go like, hey, fellas, we're kind of losing some checks here. Uh, Brock Hewitt's going to join us in 15 minutes. He, have, uh, among other things, quarterback and Seattle and Seahawks fame. We'll get his thoughts on the departure of Russell Wilson and the wake left behind or the quarterback kind of vacuum left behind. There is still one gigantic quarterback potentially out there we don't know about Deshaun Watson but to to me the the story of Carson Wentz and what took place yesterday where Wentz was dumped you know just a year into his tenure with the Colts this after he was he kind of gave up on and they it was a mutual easy parting of the ways from the Eagles to the Colts, and you know, congratulations to the Eagles to get that first round pick. But what's fascinating to me is the two very different ways of looking at the exact same guy. Some of it may be that we have expectations that are unrealistic for Carson Wentz once he got back with Carson with uh, Frank Reich, right? We thought, well, if he gets back with Frank Reich, you know, well, then he's He's going to be back to MVP caliber Carson Wentz. And that didn't happen. And it was the season ended poorly. But Washington's sitting there, and he wasn't there first. He wasn't there second. He wasn't there third. He wasn't there fourth. Okay, but he gets to be a choice that falls into our lap. And we didn't have to extend ourselves out that much. You know, we didn't. And, and you know what the Washington thing says to me? You know, oftentimes you talk, you know the difference between a fan and somebody really in the know when they talk about what's actually possible. You know, why did we go get Aaron Rodgers? Because, well, one, there's no chance in hell that if the Green Bay Packers were forced to trade Aaron Rodgers, they're going to trade him to an NFC team, especially when they're going to play this season. And two, they didn't want to be the ones that traded Aaron Rodgers. That's why they'll give him whatever he wants financially and give him some say in who his wide receivers are and give him some say in who his quarterback coach is. <laughs> right? And they're not trading him to an NFC team. So what happens is fans have a tendency to just think 
Why didn't you go get so-and-so? Why? Because there's a lot more to it. That's actually our job. I think what's, what's happened in sports media is we become big, hot topic, just trim the, the, the services to it. And that's great. And you can have a take on big things. But the substance behind it, the reality behind it, why didn't they just trade for this guy? Why, whether it's salary cap or whether the, both teams have to want to make a deal in order for it to work. And, oh, yeah, by the way, then in these particular instances, said quarterback has to even want to go there, plus team has to want to trade him to a team in his conference. So the first thing that jumps out to me is, yes, he was not Washington's first pick. He was not their second pick. He was probably not their third pick. And I don't think he was their fourth pick. Like, just think of, in, in realistic fashion, Aaron Rodgers was choice number one, can't get him. Russell Wilson, choice number two, can't get him. Whether Russ wanted to go there or didn't want to go there or they didn't want to trade him in division. Right. Deshaun Watson, probably choice number three. But when you're being sued for, your front office being sued for sexual harassment, you can't go get Deshaun Watson. Again, the reality of it, what he has not been charged with a crime, but just the reality of the optics, you can't do it. So now you're left with Jimmy Garoppolo, who's got shoulder surgery, or Carson Wentz. And that's when they got there. So to the fans who will always say, why didn't you go get so-and-so and such, you know, it's like, hey, we didn't try. Just have to be realistic about things. And secondly, it, it, it goes back to what has limited the Colts over the last half decade. And Chris Ballard has, be, has built a talented, athletic defense. He found an absolute gem in a running back. The offensive line is not the best, but it is far from the what it had been and what so many others are. When Andrew Luck walked out that door for the 2019 season, this is what they were left with. Right, this is what they were left with. And and what happens when I mention Andrew Luck? Oh, you're a hater because you said he's the he's the most millennial thing ever. The the, the proof is. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, those guys, even Philip Rivers, you want to peel them off a football field. Philip Rivers isn't playing anymore because he's not good enough anymore, not because he doesn't want to. Same thing with Drew Brees. Tom Brady, a little bit of a different animal. That guy's Benjamin Button. But generally, quarterbacks are like Russell Wilson, where, oh, I'm out how long with a thumb? I'm going to come back two weeks early. Or Alex Smith, who is... What happened to his leg was just gruesome. 17 surgeries, but he got back out there. I'm telling you, normal football culture is, hey, they're going to have to take, they're going to carry me off my last football game, especially a quarterback where guys are rarely hit nearly as hard. But it's also out of complete respect for how good he was and what they had built around him. You know, you can take shots at Ballard and say, look, he's, Hit as many as, as many as some. He's missed, and their record honestly is is almost parallel to that of the Chicago Bears, and you know in the in the Matt Nagy era. But when you thought you had Andrew Luck, and instead you had Jacoby Brissett, and then you had a washed up Philip Rivers, and then you had a image in football rehabbing Carson Wentz, and now you're TBD yet again. It, it may feel like a win for the Colts to just get him out the building to start all over. But another new face, what wins is consistency. 
Yes, I get it. Stafford and Brady, the past two years, their new faces, they didn't need to be consistent. Right? But they're not going to get Stafford. They're not going to get Brady. <laughs> going back to the Washington football team, who started by wanting Aaron Rodgers, turned to Russell Wilson, then would love to have Deshaun Watson, figured it could, it could win with Jimmy Garoppolo, and settled on Carson Wentz. That's just not the reality of it. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, FS1, and the iHeartRadio app. He's synonymous with Pacific Northwest football, synonymous with not only commentary on college football, but the NFL and has covered the Seahawks for years. He joins us in The Herd on Fox Sports Radio. Brock, what was your reaction immediately? Like when you saw Russell Wilson to the Broncos, what would you think? Well, I was on a walk trying to get some fresh air, Doug, and all of a sudden my phone uh, is blowing up and I answer a, a call and they said, hey, you know, can you, can you jump on uh, a station here in Denver? Can you, can you jump on with the big news? And it's like, Aaron Rodgers, you know, signing back in Green Bay is big news in Denver. I know you wanted him. He's like, no, you haven't heard? And I said, heard what? <laughs> so I was, yeah, I was pretty blown away because I just, you know, we've obviously been talking about this, Doug, in Seattle for, I don't know, a good year, ever since Russell last year really aired his grievances and talked about his uh, challenges with the roster and getting hit too much and, and then even putting out four possible trade scenarios. So we knew the relationship was rocky, but I just never believed there was going to be enough of a haul nor a quarterback coming back at this stage of Pete Carroll's career 70, 71 years of age, wanting, you know, another shot at a Super Bowl. But Pete and John got the trust of Jody Allen, the owner. She went in their direction to, to rebuild this thing, and out the door goes Russell Wilson. I argued it's one of the biggest sports stories, if not the biggest sports story off the field in Seattle sports history, and I'll stand by that. More than the Seahawks, uh, more than the uh, Supersonics leaving? Well, that was about a two-year runway, Doug, of villain after villain, lie after lie, politics, Clay Bennett. There were so many characters involved in that. And ultimately, that ripped your heart out when they left. When Don James stepped down unexpectedly, uh, that, that stung. When Ken Griffey Jr. got traded to Cincinnati, uh, back to his hometown team, that certainly hurt. But as far as a franchise quarterback, the guy that has been at the center of the community, has raised tens of millions of dollars, still has three to four to five years of his prime left, and brought you the world championship in a, nearly a second. Golly, I mean, as far as what he did in that community, Doug, I would argue off the field, it was the biggest story in Seattle sports history. Okay. Um, what do you think of what they got in return? Uh, I, I thought it was a little short. I think most Seahawks fans did as well. Uh, you gave up two first-round picks for Jamal Adams, who's been an underperforming safety for you. And basically, you get back those two first-round picks you traded for, for Jamal, plus a second and a third and a second the following year, and some starters. I, I, not to diminish, you know, Fant and, and Shelby Harris and, and Drew Locke. Those guys have been starters, and two of them, I think, still have some upside. But, yeah, I think most Seahawks fans felt like that was that was short of, of expectations. And, I think, frankly, it had to do with the fact that Russell had a no-trade clause. And he said no to Philly. He said no to Washington by all accounts. I think those were heftier returns. 
he wanted to be with Nathaniel Hackett. He wanted to be with an offensive-minded head coach. He wanted to be on a roster that plugging a quarterback is playoff contending right away. And I think by limiting those options, Doug, it limited some of the return back to Seattle. Doug Gottlieb in for Colin. This is the herd on Fox Sports Radio. You know, you know the interesting part is Russell going to Denver, a spot that was tailor-made for Aaron Rodgers. I, I just, I, and I mean, I know a little bit about what drives Aaron Rodgers. He is not a huge fan of Russell Wilson, and that would nope. be, that would be amazing, <laughs> right? If if Denver has success and Green Bay doesn't, oh my God, he's gonna be so pissed. Well, let's uh, let's also consider the timing, Doug. Um, I, I I don't think that was coincidental that hours after the biggest news story in the NFL to date this offseason with Aaron Rodgers going back to Green Bay, and what did Russell and his people decide to do while on the plane flying to Denver? hey, you know what, uh, let's break this story. Uh, before, right, uh, physicals could be done, before it could really be formally announced by either of the teams that had to wait for the league year to begin. But I think that there's a little rivalry between those two. And, and my belief, pure speculation, of course, is that while on his jet to Denver, the news of Aaron Rodgers breaks, and I think Russell and his camp said, you know what, I think we can one-up that today. So let's, uh, let's break that news with Mr. Schefter right about now. Yes. And they did just that. Little hold my little hold my beer from uh from from Saint <laughs> yeah. Saint Russ. Brock, you are our guest in the herd on Fox Sports Radio. Okay, what if I told you the plan in Seattle is to execute the same plan they executed a long time ago, right? Find a find a quarterback who and we remember his first couple years, he was just handling handing the football off and very conservative offensively and then occasionally late in the game, you know, he'd win it for you. But they won it with defense, and they won it because they didn't spend on the quarterback, and they they spent everywhere else. And they they obviously obviously drafted very well, not just in the first round, but out of the first round. But what if the plan in Seattle is like, hey, look, the Niners have never loved Garoppolo, and they nearly went to the Super Bowl again. There's no yep. reason we can't find a guy who makes less money, and <laughs> and and we just build a, a team because we got to rebuild a team around him. Well, I'm going to guess. And, again, speculate, Doug, with some insight that that was exactly the message to Jody Allen when the season ended. If you remember, we were all waiting for the white smoke to puff out of the building uh, there in Seattle after the uh, interviews with, with Jody Allen, the owner, and Pete and John, and what was going to be the direction moving forward. And, and ultimately, I am sure that is the plan that was sold. Hey, listen, we did this before. I know it was a decade ago, but we did this before. We built a team. We built it in the image of, of defense and physicality. We've got Jordan Brooks. We've got Daryl Taylor. We've got Marquise Blair. We've got some young, hungry players. And I'm not going to compare yet to Bobby and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor, but as far as just physical traits and, and splash plays, they made a bunch of them as young players. And now you got the n- number nine pick. That could be a, a generational pass rusher, a starting tackle, maybe even a, a, a Richard Sherman at corner. So that was the direction that was certainly sold to ownership. And I think when Jody Allen and her team had a decision to make of, Okay, do we want to to redo, you know, rebuild this and retool this and do it in that image, Doug, as you said, that these two did 12 years ago, or do we want to build it around the franchise quarterback who'll be 34 this year, who we're going to have to pay? The market value now is 50 million dollars a year. Do we want to go that direction? And I think ultimately ownership and the people around Jody Allen said, okay, in Pete and John, we will trust, and you better go draft and draft a little bit better than you have the last five to seven years. Uh, how 
how difficult is it going to be for Carson Wentz, seeing as, look, if Frank Reich gives up on you. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and look, here, here, here's my thoughts on, on Washington. When they had Alex Smith, they were in first place, right? And ever since he got hurt, it's just been quarterback after quarterback after quarterback getting hurt. Or, you know, I love the Taylor Heineke story, but there's just a, there's just a ceiling there. Um, yep. So, I mean, part of me says he doesn't have to be MVP caliber Carson Wentz. But again, when Frank Reich gives up on you, it, it, it's hard to see that. It is. I guess if you're Carson Wentz and his team and family and agent and others, you probably say, I don't know if it was Frank Reich that gave up on me, because I'm going to guess that was a Mr. Ursay decision, that that was above uh, Frank Reich, more than likely even above Chris Ballard, that the owner was involved. And you listen to Frank there at the Combine, it was really clear that those three were going to get their heads together. But ultimately, Jim Irsay was going to make that decision. And when you've been used to Andrew Luck and Peyton Manning for Mr. Irsay for a couple decades, Carson Wentz inconsistency and, and you know his failures at the end of the year were just were just not palatable. And certainly in the final year of his contract, not one where they were going to extend him long term. So, yeah, you go you know from Philly, some of the most tough, brutal fans there are, to an Indy, to the Midwest with Frank Reich and and all of that positivity, and now you go right back into a media market in Washington, a fan base that will not be easy on him. And this just certainly feels like make or break time in his career if he's truly going to be a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 and, and yeah, back in that, and that division is not great. And if if they're healthy, we saw him when when Chase Young is healthy. That's as good a defensive front as there is in football. So he does, again, doesn't have to be superhuman; just has to be solid. And maybe it's more about leadership than it is actually about his play. Yeah, and just just a consistency, Doug. I mean, that is the hardest thing for these young guys. And that is why I think we've seen so much churn, you know, through these years. Even Carson Wentz and Jared Goff that got their big contracts, right, that were first-round picks, that got the big deal from the team that drafted them. But, man, fighting this game from the neck up, and, and I know that firsthand. It decimated me. It was one of the hardest challenges. And you look at a lot of these young quarterbacks, not the physical traits. He's got size. He's got talent. He's done it before at a very high level. But just consistently doing it and emotionally and mentally and then ultimately, as you said, leading a locker room that believes in that consistency of your leadership that certainly has been Carson's challenge, as it is many young quarterbacks' challenge over the last decade. Yeah, no, it's a great point, you know, and, and now you're carrying the, the reputation of the being in different spots of, of locker rooms, at least partially divided, uh, in, in, your, in your past. Is there – is Sam Darnold's got to be the next guy to be moved, right? Like the only um, – if, if, if there's no clarity on Deshaun Watson, Sam Darnold's got to be the next guy, doesn't he? think so and again i'd probably put him right in that camp just shoulder to shoulder right and and he's not had the moments that carson did i mean carson has had stretches where he carried that team and carried carried them to the playoffs and everything else sam has unfortunately you know as he has said seen a lot of ghosts i think he's heard a lot and felt the weight of expectations in new york that that crippled him you go to carolina you start hot get beat up you fall again and man, it is just a, it is a, it is a difficult, difficult journey for a young quarterback. And those that get calloused, right? Those that just get hardened, those whose skin gets thickened, you know, have at times rebounded and, and bounced back. But there's been many, many stories, more stories of those that just get burned and just physically and mentally and emotionally just 
can't do it, can't put it together, and can't go, can't go leave. But, yeah, I think he would be next. Marcus Mariota, I think, is a very intriguing prospect. I think you'll hear his name in a bunch of different markets. I know Mitch Trubisky is a name that has been very popular. That's one that I would question, and I certainly would not give significant, significant money to. But there are those young QBs that, uh, that do have those scars and that have been burned in this league that will get another opportunity. Garoppolo, obviously, they, they'd like to move him, but he's got the shoulder shoulder surgery um how i mean you know anytime you have a shoulder surgery the guy's gonna come out "Ah, he'll be back he'll be back to normal but how do you know i mean he's already had he already he's already had major all these different injuries some small some major like the knee a couple years ago now he's got a shoulder issue like this we're, we're getting to the cam newton level beating up body you are, and you're getting to the most important ability at this stage. I mean, I think he, from the neck up, is pretty good, Doug. I think he's pretty hardened. I think he's pretty mentally tough. But he's just got a body that just time and time and time again has just proved unreliable. And that greatest ability is reliability, right, is durability. It's what the greats do. It's what, you know, Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady and those just did remarkably well for decade after decade. And unfortunately for Jimmy, just at every turn, at every single season, he has just had a, a hiccup along the way. And ultimately, Kyle and crew drafted there in his replacement at number three for a reason. Uh, but he too, Teddy Bridgewater, he probably put in that camp. Again, not quite the ceiling of a Jimmy Garoppolo or, or a past resume. But there will be ample options, you know, once these dominoes start falling. And now they have fallen. Now Aaron has found his home. Russell has found his home. The Deshaun Watson news will come out today as far as the grand jury and, and the criminal and the civil, you know, moving forward with that. I think the rest of the league's waiting for that domino to fall. And then you will see a handful of these names, at least in spring, provide some hope around the draft and around OTAs and training camp. There will be some hope. There will be some nice stories written about a bunch of these guys. Ultimately, some will hit, um, but the majority, unfortunately, will fail and will leave organizations searching and clamoring to fill that most important void. Well, you, you, you mentioned Deshaun. You mentioned Deshaun. And I, I would I would tend to believe that because of the stories and the lawsuit and allegations against front office people of the past with the commanders that they can't, they couldn't touch him anyway. Right. There's just no way. Yeah. No, that was um, not going to happen there. What, are, what about, there... what about, what about a city like Seattle? Would they be uh, again, again, and this is under the assumption we have no idea uh, that there wouldn't be criminal charges, right? If there's criminal charges, you can't, not, nobody can do anything, but if there's no criminal charges. In a city like Seattle, can would, would how would how would Jody Allen react to that? That'd be a hard one. That'd be that. That would be in a progressive city with a progressive owner. I think uh, that that has made a stand and, and said things publicly of where she stands in that case of domestic abuse and sexual assault and everything else. And and even with the uh, the Seagulls changing their uniforms and everything, I, I'd have a hard time believing um, that the Seahawks would be the one that pulled the trigger. You hear reports about it. You're certainly hearing people in the media say, you know, they are they're loading up and they're doing their research and, and they will and. And I'll say this, Doug, I mean, you know, my buddy Mike Salk and you know Mike well, he said all the time, like, you never really know these guys. Be very careful, fans. You never really know on either side of the aisle, you know, what kind of guy they are. And he's one that that, that fooled me, you know. Um, if you would have said to me, I mean, I, I probably, Doug, in my college and doing the NFL, probably called 15 of his games, at least a dozen over his career, been around him 
spend a day with him and doing media work, you know, talk to coaches and, and trainers and sports information directors and students. And man, was he loved by everybody at every turn all around him. And when that story broke over a year ago, gosh, that was just it was disheartening. It was sickening. And I would have not ever pegged him as, as the one to, to be in this situation and in the turmoil that he put himself in. No, I, I, I know he had a ton of positive equity, but even cashing it all in, I'm, I'm, I just there, there's certain places where that's a, that's a no go, and I, it's going to be fascinating to see, regardless of you know, regardless of proof of guilt, right? There's no proof of yep. guilt. It's just the the volume of stories, and it's yeah. enough to, to to cause to cause pause. Brock, great stuff as always. Hope you're well, and thank you so much for joining us in the herd. You got it, Doug. Always a blast, man. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Mike check. Mike check. If you want exclusive insight from the biggest names in the sports game, what's good? This is national champion and former pro baller Chris Johnson. And let me tell you a little bit about my new series, KJ Live. KJ Live is the only show featuring me going one-on-one with the brightest basketball minds on the planet to get the real. And when I say real, I mean that real. I got legendary Hall of Famers, elite coaches, and the top basketball insiders bringing you a unique perspective on all things hoops culture that you will not find anywhere else. To make your next move your best move. And tap in with me on KJ Live, wherever you get your podcast from. This is uh, Kevin Durant talking about Ben Simmons. And, and if he planned to talk to Ben Simmons about what he's in for in return to Philadelphia. There's going to be some, you know, something that might, you know, some words that may trigger you as personally, and, but that's just how fans are. They want to get into our skin. They want to let their voices be heard. Some people don't even enjoy basketball. They just like, you know, their lives are so that they, they get to just aim it at other people, you know, so it's easy to kind of get that release at a basketball game. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, I, I think I think that in basketball especially, fans think that they play a factor, and we do uh we do kind of we have an infatuation with the with, with the heckler with the funny sign right i mean like college game day has made a made a tradition out of focusing on the signs and the signs have to be more and more clever i mean look there's just a line you know if a mechanic would drop his wrench then you're probably over the line if you're probably over the line Probably a lot, and and Ben Simmons is going to show up, and he's going to sit there, and but I I I don't know how he got. It's okay to boo, it's okay to make up some funny chance, for whatever reason though, especially weekday games in the Northeast, weeknight games in the Northeast, it is a different energy to that crowd. And then you factor in it's in Philadelphia, Philadelphia and New York, the Knicks, not 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 Brooklyn, different vibe. Those two places, especially, there's a different energy there. Like you know, go back to Trey Young in the playoffs. Like, you know, there, there's a line there. The problem with the, there's just a percentage that go over the line, and it's gross. No reason you can't come up with plenty of hilarious Ben Simmons chants. I. You can the we don't we didn't want you, you know something about the shooting. There's a a, a million things you can do, 
Again, the, the, just the problem is they go overboard. It's like guy 101, right? Where if you, you have a group, a group of guys, there's always going to be a guy who wants to, wants to start something, wants to bump shoulders in with somebody else at a bar. I mean, it's like the, the, the hangover crew, only you add a couple guys in there and you always have somebody who wants to fight. You got somebody who wants to fight. You got somebody who's unlucky in love and somebody who's lucky in love. You got a couple of normal dudes in the middle, you know, and a couple other, a couple guys that are hotheads. Like, that's the way it all works. Um, unfortunately, in Philadelphia, there's not only a kind of tradition of being that way, and somehow it's like it, it, it's viewed as, hey, yeah, that, that's, that's how we roll. We threw snowballs at Santa. Nothing's off limits. It's just, you. It, this to me is a lot like the, the Howard Stern show. Like, look, I, I listen to Stern. Listen to him now. But I used to, I, I would think, I've always thought it was more clever pushing the lines of what you could get away with instead of when there's just no rules and you can just say whatever. All right? If you could be clever up to a point, but once you get past that level, it can just be crass. It's the same thing with fans. It's the same thing. What's I think more interesting is, you know, they go down and, and Kyrie drops a 50-burger. Can they win the game? Can they win some of these games against a difficult schedule when Ben Simmons ultimately gets back? And where can they get in the playoffs? Because, look, as much as as it, it didn't appear to work with James Harden and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, they were going to go to the NBA final. They were going to beat the Milwaukee Bucks if not for Kyrie getting hurt. Harden wasn't even right, wasn't even healthy. They were going to beat the Bucks. It wasn't a crazy competitive series until uh, until Kyrie went down. So, um, yeah, I, I I'm actually a little bit more of a buyer into the Nets than others are. Do I look? Do I think it's it's perfect marriage? No, I think it's a better fit because Ben Simmons doesn't necessarily need the ball. Or doesn't need to take shots and can help you with those other things. I wish he would have played tonight, but it may be too soon in the process. And by process, I mean the process of building some confidence in taking shots. Like for me, for Ben Simmons to ever reach his heights, he doesn't have to be a great shooter, but he has to be willing to take them. And that's, that takes like a year of, of actually playing. Because you can take all the practice shots you want. But until you take them and you're willing to miss them in a game, until they get he gets to a coach who takes him out when he doesn't shoot shots that he darn well should shoot, like until he gets to that point, there's going to be no level of confidence in him. And you can't just all of a sudden have confidence in shooting when you've never had in the NBA <laughs> in March or April of a potentially championship season. That That one is a new one. I do believe, like, as somebody who had lost, completely lost confidence in a jump shot, you can get it back. It just takes a long time. It takes a lot of the right coaching. It takes complete belief of all your teammates around you. And he can get all those things. I just don't think he can get those things in this short order. Be sure to catch live editions of The Herd weekdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, FS1, and the iHeartRadio app. The Lakers. Now, they lost to San Antonio, but... LeBron didn't play. So LeBron plays last night. 
and um, he's eight of twenty-four from the field. It was it was like opposite day, right? Where Russell Westbrook was more efficient, and LeBron James was inefficient. But at the end of the game, in in regulation, LeBron drove to his left, jumped in the air, and he appeared to have at least some sort of angle on a reverse layup. Now, look, it's it's really hard to tell because the the game angle that everybody's reacting to, that shot at midcourt. So you can't tell where his hips are, what the ball is, how difficult it is to get it up. Anyway, he kicks it off to Carmelo on the wing. Carmelo takes one dribble, steps into a jump shot, and misses. And then they get blown out in overtime. So, of course, it took the Laker, it took the LeBron haters all of 30 seconds to tweet out that LeBron is scared of taking the big shot, right? That's that's the way this thing works. Here's LeBron after the game. On the drive, I had an angle, for sure. And then uh, David Nwabo came over, and uh, I took a long one-two step and ended up behind the backboard. It was a little bit off balance, and I could have forced a, a, a reverse layup, but I wasn't in a position to feel like I could have got a great look, could have got a decent look, and I feel like Melo's look was a lot better than mine. So it's literally that simple. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with him here. First of all, it, so th- this is what doesn't make sense to the LeBron hater out there, right? So he's not afraid to take game-winning shots in the NBA Finals, but he is afraid on a Wednesday night in Houston, <laughs> right? Like, I you have a t- I got a tough time with, with that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna t- and and as you guys I think pretty well know. I'm as far from a LeBron suck-up, right? Somewhere in between Skip Bayless and um, um, uh, Nick uh, and Nick Wright, right? Right, like like Nick Nick Wright thinks LeBron was fouled twice on the drive, and he should have been granted two points just for getting close enough to the hoop at 37 years old. Skip Bayless thinks that he's scared LeBron's scared to take the big shot right and any chance he gets to point that out he will do so whereas I would sit there and go like yeah he kind of had a weird angle probably a difficult finish Mello has remained in the league for one reason only because he can make corner jump shots like that that's it that's all he can do if you watched overtime and um, Jalen Green, the star for the Houston Rockets, he even said it like the game plan was to attack Melo. They just like, wherever Melo is, that's where they're going. He can't guard anybody. And he's playing like small ball center. That doesn't work. LeBron can't do it either. They're just attacking those guys. But the game plan was to attack Melo. Melo is only, his only thing that he can do now, one of the formerly, formerly he was the best scorer in the league, a three-level score, post, mid-range, and from three. Three was probably his weakest trait. But still, you go back 10, 12 years ago, and he was Kevin Durant-level scoring machine. Okay? The only reason he's in the league now is to make that corner jump shot. So if you say, well, he might have had an angle, and I hate the mentality of guys, because it's changed in basketball. You drive, you draw. I mean, you work on that pass and that jump shot every day when you're, when you're a basketball player. It's called baseline drive baseline drift every day 
So if you say, hey, I don't like how basketball is taught and played, you drive in, it's the old European style, that's fine. You, you might have had a shot there. You know, he's LeBron. I, I, I have more trust in LeBron from two feet, even falling into the stands, than I do from Carmelo from 24. That's fair. But if you want to tell me that somehow he's scared to take the big shot in Houston on a Wednesday night, that's going to be a tough tough one for me to, 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 to factor in and to believe. And I'm far from Nick Wright, who finds somebody who loves you and your talents as much as Nick loves LeBron and LeBron's talents. Let's not forget, we're all missing the point, okay? The point isn't if LeBron should have and should not have taken the shot. The point isn't whether or not Carmelo's shot was a better shot than his. The point that we're all missing is, it lost to the Houston Rockets! Well, anyway, Anthony Davis, you lost to the Houston Rockets! You lost to the Houston Rockets. That's let's not bury the lead, right? The lead is that the Lakers, who are falling out of even the play-in tournament at this point in time, like the Lakers who are floundering. You can make the excuse that well, they didn't have LeBron. Well, they had LeBron. They had LeBron last night. The Houston Rockets are now tied. They came into the game with the worst record in the NBA. Worst record in the NBA, 17-49. and 49. So, again, you can tell me all you want about when Anthony Davis returns. And, I, look, I think they, they'll be competitive, but there's a lot more wrong there when you're losing to the Rockets than worrying about whether or not LeBron should have shot, that, shot the basketball when he's got a kind of weird angle in the last shot. It shouldn't have been that close.